Hey, good to see y'all. My name's Jamie, and I'm the pastor of East Cobb Church. So glad that you're here today. Excited about our block party. Looks like God's given us some shade for later. This is going to be awesome, but uh, we're really excited about it and glad that you are here. I got a question for you as we get started today. Have you ever noticed or found that you have a food that you just can't say no to? Anybody? Like, like even if you're dieting and you can say no to like all these other foods, you know that if this one food gets in front of you, like you're done, right? Well, I do. I've discovered that I do. Uh, and I'm dealing with it right, right now, to be honest. Uh, for the last couple months, I've been trying to get a little fitter. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I added a little bit to my, my padding after my surgery. Uh, and uh, so I've been spending a couple months being like, I'm going to get a little bit more, more fit. And uh, I've been doing pretty good, to be honest with you, except for this, this one time recently. This one time recently, it was actually on a Sunday, and I was going home with my four kids in the car, and I turned around and asked them, like, hey, what do you want for dinner? Like, where are we going to get dinner? And um, somehow, they all had the same answer. They, they, they said, you know, they said the same thing, which was a shocking because, I mean, I'm telling you, world wars break out in our house over where we're going to go to dinner after church, but evidently, they'd had peace talks and all conferred and decided that we were going to McDonald's, and I was like, oh, no, that is not good. Uh, uh, yeah, so we, we go to McDonald's, we pull up to the drive-thru, drive and I order the four Happy Meals, two with white milk, two with chocolate milk, of course. Uh, I get myself a large Coke Zero, because y'all know McDonald's has the best Coke, right? They mix their own Coke, did you know that? And I'm like, always got to get me a Zero. Um, and everything was great until the drive-thru attendant said those two devastating words. Anything else? <laughs> and y'all, I, tr I tried to say no. I, I, I promise you, my lips formed the word like, no. But what came out was, one large fry, please. Because I love fries. Yeah, I mean, I love fries. And, and next to the Parmesan truffle fries at Marlowe's Tavern, the other fries that are near and dear to my heart are McDonald's fries. I mean, they're just like so tasty and so crispy. And they're only 2,000 calories. And so I, uh, I got them and I was like, I was like so excited. I was like, mm, this is going to be good. And uh, so, you know, we get up to the drive-thru. They give me the Happy Meals. Like, I chuck them in the back of the car. I'm like, kids, get them yourself. Daddy's fries are coming. You know, I get my zero, stick the straw in, take a sip. And then, you know, out of the drive-thru window come, yup, yup, my, my fries. And I'm so happy. You know, I grab them with one hand and with the other, you know, I like grab three fries and stick them in my mouth while they're still in transit into the car. And immediately I, I can tell, I'm like, oh no, something's wrong. Uh, and I grab three more, you know, and taste them again. And I'm like, wait a minute, no, no, these aren't the McDonald's fries that I know and love, you know? And I could have let it go, but no, I'm not going to let it go at this point. You know, I just ordered them. So I say to the attendant, I'm like, hey, did you guys like just make these or something? They kind of don't taste right. And he was like, hold on, boom, windows closed. 30 seconds later, boom, windows open. I'm sorry, sir, I'll take those back. We forgot something. Anybody want to guess what they forgot? Yes, you knew it. Y'all, it turns out that 90% of what I like about McDonald's fries is the salt. <laughs> Those guys know how to salt their fries. Without the salt, totally ordinary. With the salt, legendary. <laughs> and that's just true in life. I mean, sometimes the key ingredient is salt. Sometimes a little bit of salt makes all the difference in the world. It's true of fries. It's true of a good steak. True of your mother-in-law's salad. You know, whatever. <laughs> But here's, here's why I go into all of this vivid detail. I want you to imagine it with me. I want you to taste it with me today because it's going to help us in the talk today, in our time together today. And I think actually that it's going to help us this summer 
in what we're going to be doing together because turns out Jesus cared a lot about salt. Some of you are going, man, that makes me like him better. Yeah, yeah. He turns water to wine and he likes salt. You should read the Gospels. I'm telling you. <laughs> but, but believe it or not, salt was an ingredient of utmost importance to Jesus. And here's why I say that, because Jesus chose salt in one of his most important analogies. In his masterpiece sermon, he immortalized these words right here. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You ever heard someone use that saying like, oh, there's a salt of the earth kind of person? Well, that comes from Jesus. It comes from this. And it's hard to overstate how significant this is because no matter what you believe about who Jesus was, what's undisputed is that he was a master teacher, meaning he chose his words and his images really, really carefully. And this was his masterpiece sermon. Uh, one that most likely he preached either in whole or in part everywhere that he went. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's recorded in part by the historian Luke. But the point is, if you had asked Jesus, someone came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, you got 15 minutes to talk to the whole world. What do you want to say? And right at the top of his list, Jesus would say, oh, I want to talk about salt. And specifically, he would say, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what does he mean by that? What does that, what does that even, even mean? Let's dig into a little bit. For starters, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Well, who's you? Like, who, what you is he talking about? The you that he is talking to in this sermon are his followers. Because remember, that's the invitation of Jesus. Jesus invited us and people to follow him. We talk about this all the time in our church. John just talked about it. Uh, and this is so, so important. Believing in Jesus is just like the starting line. But you know, that's where your relationship with, with, with God starts, like believing in Jesus. But the lifelong invitation from that point forward is to follow him. And that's who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his followers. And he says to his followers, he says, you are. And that too is so important. If you're a Jesus follower, you need to know that Jesus is more concerned with who you are than who, you know, what you believe or where you go to church. Not saying those things aren't important. They, they are important. But when it comes to you as his follower, what you believe is the starting line. It's like intro level. Where you go to church, what worship songs you like, what preachers you listen to, secondary. What theological side of whatever you're on, what opinions you hold, what politics you do, secondary. But who you are, that's primary. That's more important. It's not just about what you believe. It's about who you are at home and at work and at biscuits and more and on the app next door, right? That's what Jesus has in mind. And with that in mind, he says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. Hey, if you're my father, you're supposed to be salt in the world, like in our community, in your neighborhood. This is who you're supposed to be wherever you are, if you are my follower. And that's some imagery right there, isn't it? Jewish teachers were known for this. Did you know that? Jewish teachers were known for teaching through imagery. They were known for doing stuff just like this. They were known for saying things like you are and then giving you an image that you could taste and see and smell so vividly that it spoke a thousand words to you. And salt to Jesus's immediate audience was as vivid an image as it is to us. To his immediate audience, salt was widely known to have at least two functions. One... It was known for adding irresistible flavor, right? Food could be bland. Salt makes it delicious. Salt makes it savory. Salt makes it irresistible. 
But secondly, it was also known for providing vital preservation. Because salt preserved food. You've heard of this maybe. Uh, specifically meat. That salt would preserve meat. It, it would preserve all that was good and it would keep out what was bad. That's what salt did. And Jesus is saying, this, if you're my follower, this is what you're supposed to do in the world. You're supposed to be like salt. That who you are, it should add a flavor and a goodness to your community that is irresistible. And who you are should be a force in your community that preserves. That like your character and your posture and your lifestyle ought to preserve those in your community and all that's good about your community while simultaneously protecting them from all that is harmful. That's what salt does. And you are the salt of the earth. And hey, when salt is present, people notice. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, I want people to notice your presence, you who are my followers. And that is what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. I want to talk about how we can be salty. And here's why. Uh, Because some of you are so tired of the church not being the salt of the earth. To you or to someone you know or to someone you love, we have been something else. We've been like, I don't know, pepper in your eye. Like, ah, you know? (laughs) And it's high time that that changed. And you deserve to know who we're supposed to be so that you can help call it out when we get it wrong. And also so that perhaps more importantly, maybe just maybe if you want to, you can join us in our mission to get it right. So I want to talk about it today for that reason. But secondly, and for us as a church... This is do or die, being salt. I mean, this is our mission. This is why we exist. We're on a mission to love where we live. And like John and Sarah mentioned earlier, specifically this summer, we're inviting you to join us in focusing on the Josh Corner, focusing on the corner around where our future home is going to be at the intersection of Johnson Ferry and Shaliford Road. Yes, we want to love where we live in all parts of the county and in all parts of the country and all parts of the world. Absolutely. But, but, but on this particular corner of the world, we're building a new home. And pretty soon, we're going to be breaking ground. I still don't know exactly when, but it's coming. Uh, pretty soon, there's going to be a construction wrap around that thing that says, in part, love where you live. You know, we're, our presence is about to be unavoidably visible on this corner. And we're inviting you to join us this summer in, in showing up there, like picking a restaurant to go eat at or going a few extra miles to shop there. Or if you know somebody who lives in the area, take them to ZZ Coffee and buy them a drink. We'll, we'll pay for it. Send us the bill. You know, like whatever. Um, I, I would love to invite your family to pick like three or four times this summer and then just go, just go show up on the corner and connect with businesses or residents. And by the way, connect us to anybody you think we ought to meet. And we're going to give you a t-shirt you can wear. We're going to give you a bracelet you can wear. I know they said all of this. And, and, and you can tell people like, hey, I'm with that church and we can't wait to be on this corner. Just wanted you to know we're, we're excited to be here. And we're really excited about that. And it, it's going it's gonna, it's gonna to be great. But way, 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 way more important than what we wear it's who we are. Like what we wear makes us stylish, but who we are is what's going to make us salty, you know? And that's far more important to Jesus. And that's far more important to the success of our mission, to the amazing thing that God wants to do through this church in the next 10 years. And so for the time that I have left, I want to bring perhaps 
unsettling and perhaps even painful clarity to what Jesus had in mind when he said, hey, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Because this statement doesn't exist in a vacuum. No, it actually comes on the heels of and in summary to an incredibly beautiful, uh, really powerful and extremely famous description of what it means to be the salt of the earth. And it's found in, in, in a couple of sentences that are widely known as the Beatitudes. Everybody say Beatitudes. Yeah, thanks, guys. Y'all learn that you can speak in church. I used to say stuff and people would be like, mm-hmm. um, Beatitudes. You ever heard of the Beatitudes? Yeah, you've heard of them. So the Beatitudes are called the Beatitudes uh, because they come from the Latin word, get this, Beatitudo. There you go. And uh, that word in Latin, it means blessing. And it refers to a series of statements that begin this most famous sermon of Jesus that all start with the word blessed. Like blessed are the, blessed are those who. And here's how it connects to the idea of being the salt of the earth. See, when we in our culture use the word blessed, uh, usually we mean getting stuff and things going well, don't we? Right? Like to us, when it comes to blessing, we are the destination, you know? It's like God bless this or God bless that. And then he takes like blessing fairy dust and like and the deal goes through or your kids get the scholarship or the crisis is averted and so on and so forth. But to Jesus... And in scripture, anytime you see someone talking about blessing, the idea is that you are a waypoint, not just a destination. I actually preached on this earlier in the year. I was talking about how we are blessed to be a blessing. So for for example, when Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers, he does mean that you yourself will be blessed if you are a peacemaker. But he equally means that you in the process will become a blessing, that you will bring blessedness you know, around you. You will be the salt of the earth. Other cultures seem to get this a little more intuitively than us sometimes, you know, that the blessed things bless things, that blessed people bless people, that you're a waypoint, not just a destination. But we've kind of watered the eye down, the idea down to being like, I don't know, Instacart or something, you know? It's like, God, bless these fries to the nourishment of our bodies. And God's like, right. <laughs> okay, you know? But Jesus starts his most famous, his keynote sermon with a series of statements about who we're supposed to be in the world, how he is inviting us to be blessed in a way that will bless our community just like salt does. And I got to warn you, some of them are crazy. You're going to think some of these are entirely naive. Like, I promise you, at least one of these, you're going to go like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, that's cute. Jesus, clearly you never had a real job. Uh, You must have spent too much time reading books rather than meeting like real people. I'm telling you, you're gonna think that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. You're like, man, you're gonna go, this is not how the world works. And here's why. Because Jesus actually isn't inviting you to be like the world in this passage. He's not inviting you to live like everybody else does on earth. He's actually inviting you to live on earth as it is in heaven. He's inviting you to live on earth as it is in what he called the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven, the the rule and the value system of heaven to earth. And he has invited you and I to participate in it. But the problem is there are some things that are blessed in the kingdom that's coming that don't really seem that blessed or always feel that blessed in the kingdom that's here right now. Things that when Jesus says them, at first they might sound silly. But if you dig into them enough, or if you live around somebody like this enough, you'll go, oh, no, 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 they're salty. That's salty. 
And so what I wanna do is I wanna read this list of Beatitudes. I wanna read this list of what it means to be the salt of the earth. And, and here's my goal. If you're a Jesus follower, what I hope to do is to bring clarity to you and clarity to us about um, what and how we are gonna show up in our community and on our corner. If you're someone who's just kind of curious about Jesus or you're checking him out or considering whether you wanna you know, believe in him or anything, one of my hope for you is that as you hear this, that you will hear something that inspires you, that you might be inspired to follow Jesus with more of your life or even some of your life to begin with. But hey, if you are a Jesus skeptic, like you got some fatigue or some frustration with the church and what you've experienced or heard or seen or read or whatever, I hope that this list, in part, makes you feel a little vindicated. That maybe you were right. Maybe you met some particular Christians who were missing it, that they weren't salty. And you, you knew it, but you didn't have the verse for it. Well, today I wanna give you the verse. The verse says, and I hope you feel a little bit vindicated. But I also hope, to be honest with you, that in the process you feel a little bit intrigued. Because maybe the God that you're frustrated with doesn't actually exist. Maybe the version of Christianity that you left behind you need to, needs to stay behind you because the version that somebody gave you wasn't authentic. It wasn't the real one. And maybe just maybe the reality of who God is and who the church is gonna be and supposed to be is way more compelling than you thought. So here we go. Number one of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> Great start, Jesus. Sounds awesome. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm not trying to be poor. It doesn't sound very blessed to me. But take note, he does say, not blessed are those who are poor in resources or in the ability to provide for your family. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus once told a parable about two men who went to the temple to worship God. And uh, he said, the first one, one of them was a religious teacher. The other was a tax collector and therefore really bad sinner. The religious teacher, he looks over at the tax collector and he's like, hmm, hell's gonna be hot. And he prays, <laughs> he prays, God, thank you so much that I'm not like this guy. On the other hand, this tax collector, he stands a long way off and he cries out. He goes, have mercy on me, oh God, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, of those two, it was the tax collector who connected with God that day and walked away right with him. Why? Because he was poor in spirit. He was aware of his need for God's grace, his unmerited favor. Though he actually was materially wealthy, he realized that when it came to God, he didn't have anything to offer. And that's poverty of spirit. And Jesus said, when anyone realizes this, blessed are they. Blessed are they. For theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. They've found, they've become a shareholder in the kingdom of heaven. Because God deals in grace. Did you know that? Did you know that God doesn't deal in good works? Like if heaven had a currency, that currency is grace, not good works. If heaven had a ticket, that ticket is grace, not being good enough or doing good enough. And I know that might be different from what you assumed or even from what you've learned growing up, but Jesus said that's not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, you can't earn it, you're never gonna deserve it, but you can only get it through God's grace. You can only get it by embracing the good news that, that God loved you before you ever loved him, that God provided for you before you ever provided anything for him, and that through Jesus, God did for you what he knew you'd never be able to do for yourself. 
And when you uh, embrace that, when you realize that, when you are poor in spirit, that's where a relationship with God begins. So blessed are we if we make that our starting point. But here's the catch. When we do that, we also become a blessing. Because watch this. What do you do a lot more easily when you've been given grace? Yeah, you give grace. Hey, what do you do a lot more easily when you've been welcomed? You welcome other people, right? What do you do a lot more easily when you've been forgiven greatly? You forgive other people. Yeah, forgiven people, forgive people. Welcomed people, welcome people. Graced people, grace other people. Church, Jesus is calling us to be a people who are acutely aware of the grace of God because we are, we are regular users and enjoyers of it. That's why I want you to spend your morning time, like kick off your days spending time with Jesus. Like, because I, I, I want you to walk into work or I don't know, walk into Publix with an acute and recent awareness of God's grace because when you do, it's just gonna spill out of you. What if, what if, what if we showed up in our community and on our corner this summer full of grace, like oozing grace? Or to turn it into a question, what if we showed up asking ourselves, hey, how good is God's grace? Like, oh my goodness, how good is God's grace? I mean, whether you actually say that to yourself as you're walking into a place or just have it in your heart because you spent fresh time with Jesus, man, what if we walked in as a people who are poor in spirit? Jesus said, I know that sounds silly, but you know what? It's actually really salty because graced people, graced people, let's be those kind of people. Number two, he says, blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> and again, not a great start, Jesus. This is not a killer sermon. I mean, come on. Mourn? I don't want to mourn. I don't even like it when I tear up in a TV show, you know? But you have to understand this one in light of the one that came before it because it kind of build. And the idea is this, that uh, when you are poor in spirit, when you're an active user of God's grace, you are free to mourn over your flaws and the flaws you see in the world. Because I'm not posturing and pretending anymore. Or to like use a religious word, we're free to mourn over our sin and the effects of sin in the world. One of the most powerful stories in the um, Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is the story of Moses and the Exodus. And it's a story that teaches us a lot about the heart of God. And one of the most notable moments is when God says to Moses that he has heard the cry of his people in slavery. And that his, his, his heart is deeply grieved and that he's gonna use Moses to deliver them. And that story teaches us this about God, that God's a God who hears the cry, whose heart is broken over sin and its effects in the world and is moved to do something about it. That's the kind of mourning that's in view here. The kind of morning that God does. And church, Jesus is calling us to be a people who are, aren't too distracted or busy or calloused or self-absorbed to mourn over sin and its effect in the world. And he says that when you do, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed if you do. Why? Because it's those who mourn, they'll be, they'll be comforted. They'll be comforted, number one, through God's nearness, because God draws near to those who mourn. But don't miss this. They'll be comforted, number two, through God's deliverance, because God is a God who hears the cry. So blessed are we when we mourn. And it's this, says Jesus. Crazy as it sounds, it's this mourning that will make us salty in our community 
and on our cult, on our corner. What if, guys, listen, I know this is, might be, I don't know, controversial, but what if in this political season, where it seems that Roe v. Wade and gun control are gonna be our lightning rod issues, what if as a church we decided that our number one posture was gonna be that of mourning? Not angry, not on a war path, not so sure how every, simple everything is, not winning our point by sanctifying our side and vilifying the other, but just heartbroken. What if we decided that was gonna be our primary posture? That would be salty. Because not only does a posture of mourning connect your heart to those of others, even those you really disagree with, but it also compels us to act, doesn't it? Because when something breaks your heart, you don't just argue about it, you don't just tweet about it, you start asking God what you can do about it, how you can join him in bringing deliverance. And I'm telling you, as with Israel, it is a broken heart that is gonna lead to broken chains in our community and in our country. And man, what if we showed up on, in our community regularly and on our corner just asking this question, hey, what needs to break my heart? What needs to break my heart? Let's be those kind of people. Let's lead the way in mourning. So Jesus says. Now, after two beatitudes of kind of addressing our, our inner posture, Jesus spends the next two talking about our outwards, outward pursuit. And this next one is about our power. I love this one. Uh, he says this. He said, blessed are the meek. You might have heard of this one because nobody likes this one. <laughs> like nobody wants to be meek. People are like, ugh, meek. And that's just because the English translation uses this word that we're not all even sure what it means, you know? Um, but here's the deal. This word, meekness, it doesn't mean weakness. Meekness doesn't mean being a pushover. Uh, the best and clearest definition that I've heard of this word is it's strength under control. Strength under control, which means that it's a quality that's actually more required, not of the weak, but of the strong, right? So that's who the meek are. The meek are those who have learned from Jesus how to use their power. And Jesus, if he was who he said he was, he was the most powerful person on the planet, right? And yet the apostle Paul says that he made himself nothing, taken on the nature of a servant. Jesus himself said, the son of man, talking of himself, did not come to serve, I mean to be served, but to serve. The most powerful person took on a posture of meekness and rather than using his power for himself, for his gain and his comfort and his glory, he leveraged his strength for you and for me. And in most of your circles, <laughs> I don't think that's how most people use their power, is it? If I had to guess, I bet it's more like take whatever you can get, dog eat dog, zero sum game. Because that, that's normal. But Jesus says, blessed are you if you join him in being meek, if you join him in deciding that whatever strength you have hasn't been given to you just for your gain and for your glory, but for the benefit of those who need it most, that whatever power you have is a vehicle and it's a platform for serving those around you and especially those under you. Jesus said, you're blessed if you do that. And here's why, because it's the meek who are gonna inherit the earth. He's like, hey, look, I know it seems right now that it's the bullies and, and the aggressive and the, and, and the proud and the selfish who inherit the earth, but come on, don't kid yourself. I'm the one who will ultimately decide that in the end of the day, and I'm telling you now, it's gonna be the meek. They're the ones that are gonna inherit the earth. The ones who use their power, whatever power I give them and place in their hands, they use it the way that I did to serve. And church, Jesus is calling us, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's calling us to be those kinds of people. Because when we do, we'll be blessed. 
Not only that, when we do, we'll be the salt of the earth. I mean, guys, what if, what if we started showing up in our community and started showing up on our corner, asking this question wherever we went, what can I do to help? What if we just started asking that question? What can I do to help? With whatever power and resources and opportunities God put in my, God's put in my hands, what can I do to help you or those you love or help this neighborhood or help this county? Can you imagine the, the flavor and the preserving power that we would produce just by that one question alone? Oh, let's be those kind of people. Let's be salty by leading the way and being meek. Sounds silly to a lot of people, but Jesus goes, no, 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 that's salty. He puts right alongside that number four, and then he says, hey, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first one was about how we use our power. This one is about what we make our ambition, what we hunger and thirst for. And most people, you know, hunger and thirst for things like wealth or or power or success or fame or comfort or pleasure or whatever. But Jesus says, blessed are you if you make your ambition righteousness. Well, what does that mean? I mean, is that like being good enough and all that. No, 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 no. Righteousness is best understood as right relationship. Not a list of do's and don'ts. To God, righteousness is a right relationship with him reflected in a right relationship with the people around you. Jesus said it this way. He said, the new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Another, it's about right relationship. And he says, blessed are those who make that their ambition. Why? He says, because they'll be filled. And don't miss this. He's, he's saying something that we, in, we just intuitively know is true. That if you make your life's ambition anything else, like something like success or money, you're going to be left wanting. But if you make your ambition to love and love well God and those around you, you'll be filled. Your hunger and your thirst it will be satisfied because that's what makes a fulfilling life. That's what God created you to do. And that's who Jesus is calling us as a church to be. What if we showed up in our community and on our corner with that ambition? What if we showed up asking the question, hey, what does love require of me? What does love require of me in my life, in my relationships, in my decisions, in my responses to people? That's what I'm hungry for. That's what I'm thirsty for. What does love require of me? That might sound silly, but Jesus is saying, no, that's salty. That's the kind of salt I'm calling you to be. I think you're getting the hang of these, and they kind of build on each other. So we can, we can speed up. Number five, he says, um, blessed are the merciful. Now, mercy is treating someone better than they deserve. It's giving to someone else. I talked about God giving to you and to me. And number one, grace. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful, who have a habit or a lifestyle or a commitment to treating people better than they deserve. And he says, blessed are they because they will receive mercy. Well, mercy from who? Well, for starters, mercy from other people. I mean, you ever met somebody who treats people better than they deserve or treats you better than you deserve? Aren't you inspired to return the favor? Yeah, of course you are. But I also think he's talking about God. I think Jesus is saying, hey, God cares so much about mercy that when you're merciful, your heavenly father's inclined to dump even more mercy into your circumstances and your problems and your relationships. Like it's that big of a deal to him. Mercy is in such short supply in our world and God wants us to lead the way in it. And what if we just showed up in our community and on our corner ready to treat people better than they deserved or to turn it into a question? What if we just showed up asking this question? How can I be unfairly generous? 
How can I be, un- how and to whom can I be unfairly generous? That's what it means to be salty. Number six, he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. This one's really hard to interpret if you've ever read it before. But this phrase, pure in heart, it means like an unmixed heart, an undivided heart. And he's talking about integrity. He's talking about walking the talk, being the real deal, that, that what you claim to believe and who you actually are when no one's watching, they match. It's like, oh man, how much damage in recent years have some Christian leaders done by ignoring this beatitude to the church? like, oh man, yeah, but it's not just leaders, is it? It's like ordinary Christians like you and me too. I mean, how much credibility have we collectively lost by having mixed hearts? By not doing what we say, you know? By following Jesus with A, B, and C, but then not following him with like D, E, and F. How much credibility have we lost by being percentage followers? A lot. And Jesus says, it's not just those looking in from the outside who are robbed of a clear picture of Jesus. Look what he said. It's us too. He says, blessed are those with a pure heart because they're the ones who see God. You can't see God clearly and experience fully his plan for your life when you're a percentage follower. And so Jesus said, hey, blessed are you when you go all in. Blessed are those who go all in. What if we started showing up out in the community and on our corner just asking ourselves like this gut check question, like how do I need to be the real deal? How do I need to be the real deal or the last one? He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. We're gonna have so many opportunities to stir up trouble, division, and dissension in the coming months. And that's just kind of how it works in the world now. You pick a side, you go for it. But not so with Jesus. Not so in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't come to bring, pick a fight between man and God. He came to bring peace between man and God. He didn't come to pick a fight between Jew and Gentile on this side and that side. He came to bring peace between the two, uniting them under one banner and one name. And what if we showed up out in our community just asking this question, how can I promote peace? How can I promote peace between me and another person, between two people, between others and God? How can, I, how can we lead the way with reconciliation politically, racially, spiritually, whatever? I'd be salty. So that's it. Can you put that whole list up, please? That's what it means to be salty. I know this wasn't a normal sermon. I usually don't go through this many things. But this was really important for us in the beginning of this summer. And I wanted us to see the whole thing. That's what it looks like to be the salt of the earth. It means showing up in our community and showing up on our corner asking these kinds of questions. Letting these kinds of questions shape and determine who we are. Because if you're a Jesus follower, you are the salt of the earth. And that means a lot's at stake. I mean, look what he says. He says this uh, in the next verse. He says, if, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? In other words, he's like, hey, this is something that's kind of easy to lose. You can't lose your salt and just be like, oh, my bad, I'll get it right, get it right next time. He's like, no, it's kind of like trust. It takes time to build, but it can be quickly lost. So like, we gotta be careful. We can't just blend in and live however we want or or live like everybody else because if we do, we won't play the role that Jesus is wanting us to play in our community and on our corner. We're like, we're gonna miss it and that's a really big deal to him. I mean, look what he says about salt that's lost his saltiness. Very next verse, he says, it's no longer good for anything. I mean, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, I guess. And Jesus isn't saying he's gonna throw you out. That's not the point. He's just saying, hey church, don't be useless. 
Don't waste your grace. Go live this blessed life that I'm inviting you to live. Go live like the kingdom of heaven because, man, too much is at stake. We can't afford for the salt to lose its saltiness. No, the, the, the irresistible flavor and the preserving power of the local church is far too important. It's way too important. So, in light of that, I got a challenge for you. I got an invitation to you. And it's different depending on what, you know, where you are in respect to Jesus. And well, let's just start with you if you're a Jesus skeptic. If you got frustration with the church or you just feel kind of alienated from it. I want you to know that this, that list, is what you should be considering. That's what you should be considering. And I would love for you to consider if it's possible that someone maybe has given you a version of Christianity that wasn't authentic. Maybe it's possible that the people that you ran into, that little section of Christians that you ran into, were salt that lost its saltiness because they weren't any different than anybody else you'd met. But I'd love for you to consider this. And that's just my invitation to you is just consider it. Consider it. Because I am convinced that who God really is and who the church is really supposed to be and what Jesus is up to in the world is actually the most amazing and compelling thing that's happening on planet Earth right now. I mean, I think it's like this level good. <laughs> and it's one of the main reasons that I'm no longer an atheist and I do what I do today. So I'd love for you to consider. I mean, if you're curious about Jesus and you're here and you're checking him out, I'm like, yeah, what are you like kind of into Christianity? Maybe a little bit. Uh, my invitation to you or maybe even my challenge for you is just to try it. I'd love to challenge you to pick one of these this summer and just start asking the question and just try it. Like ask it every week. Just start asking the question and see if Jesus isn't right. See if you are not in fact blessed in the process. And see if, 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 if along the way you actually don't start becoming more of a blessing to your family and those you love and your friends in our community. Just try it. Because maybe you'll find something that inspires you to actually follow him with your whole life. Maybe you'll find something that convinces you that Jesus is worth building your whole life around. So just try it. But if you are a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, I want to challenge you, not just invite you, just if I could humbly as your pastor, I want to challenge you to join me in following it. These aren't optional for us. We don't get to choose three. <laughs> not how it works. And I'd love to invite you this summer to join me and let's figure out how to follow it. Here's one way I'd suggest. There's seven of those. We got about seven weeks left of summer. That's kind of sad to even say. Um, well, if you just took one of these starting at the top and picked one week or one question the rest of the summer, start at the top, pour in spirit, how good is God's grace? And just start asking that question the first week and see what God brings out of your heart, see what he brings out of your life, see what he does to make you a blessing and then move on to the second one. But man, I would love for us to spend this summer chewing on these, internalizing these and actually starting to like live these out. Because so much is at stake. We're called to be the salt of the earth. And we got to show up on our corner and in our community this summer with more than just a t-shirt. So let's follow it. Let's be it. You are, we're supposed to be, Jesus is inviting us to be salt of the earth. So let's go be salty. Let's go add irresistible flavor. And let's go be leaders in and contributors to the preserving power of the good news of Jesus. Let's go love where we live. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight into what you're actually inviting us to be? I pray that you would, um, you kind of give us a discontent 
with where the church currently stands that we would feel compelled to be more than we currently are. We'd feel compelled to be the salt of the earth. Not just like church attenders and like the music and this, that and the other, but we'd feel this like opportunity to go out in our community and be something compelling, like to be something irresistible, to be something that's like so good that people don't even want to live without it. I pray that you give us that kind of desire and burden. And I pray that you give us wisdom to know what these things mean. Jesus, it's kind of hard to understand some of them, but I pray that you bring these questions alive in our heart and we maybe have courage to ask some of them and as a result, we be blessed. And maybe we start blessing some other people too. So help us to know what to do with what we just heard and give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.